Welcome, and thank you so much for tuning in to Rock Church's message. We are so excited that you are here today. We hope that you leave today encouraged and know that you are loved by God. We've been together other than last week talking about love, and today we come to the issue of, is it easily angered? When you really love someone, you're not so quick to judge and get angry with them especially if you're married to them, because you know there are consequences for anger. You have to live with the person. It's a good thing, instead of getting mad, to find something positive to say in any given situation. Questions will appear on the screen, and I want you to keep track of all of your true and false statements and see if you are a person who is easily angered. Number one, true or false. I don't show my anger about everything that makes me mad, but when I do, look out. True or false? Maybe you should do this for your spouse. Okay, number two. I still get angry when I think of the bad things that people did to me in the past. True or false? Number three. Waiting in line or waiting for other people really annoys me. Or waiting for people who just won't move fast enough on the road. That's a, oh, Jesus, help us. That's a, that's a, oh, that, that, that makes preachers cuss. Number four. Number four, true or false, I fly off the handle easily. True or false? Five, I often find myself... True or false? Number six, I sometimes lie awake at night and think about the things that upset me during the day. Seven, when someone says or does something that upsets me, I don't usually say anything at the time, but later I spend a lot of time thinking up cutting replies that I could and should have made. You know how that is? Oh, man, if I ran into that person again, I would give them a blistering. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I got some thing. I've, I've thought this through now, and I should have said this. Ever do that? Amen? Ooh, that's weak. Seven or eight, I guess. I find it very hard to forgive someone who has done me wrong. Nine. I get angry with myself when I have lost control of my emotions. Ten. People really irritate me when they don't behave the way they should, because I'm perfect, or when they act like they don't have the good sense of a head of lettuce. Hmm. If I I get really upset about something, I have a tendency to feel sick later, either with a weak spell, a headache, upset stomach, or diarrhea. Wow, that's pretty bad, isn't it? It goes all the way down there. People I've trusted have often let me down, leaving me feel angry or betrayed. True or false? Thirteen, when things don't go my way, I actually get depressed. How are you doing so far? All truths? 
won't make you raise your hand, but all truths are, or there's some, no, 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 that's not me. We're in denial a lot of the time, aren't we? We don't like to call that anger, we like to call it something else. So I, I, so I stop, I take a pause there in the test for a moment, keep track of your score. Because we're, we're good at not calling it what it really should be called. And so I, I looked up in, in the dictionary to see, or actually in, in a thesaurus to see what other words we could use for anger. And I thought, well, surely a sticky note will be big enough. Not hardly. Annoyance, displeasure, hostility, rage, vexation, crossness, irritation, irritability, indignation, outrage, disgust, aggravation, mad, peeved, animosity, acrimony, enmity, disappointment, infuriated. Those are just 19 of the other definitions. So we don't get off the hook quite so easily, do we? All right, where were we at? Some of you have already failed the test. Right? Number 14. I'm apt to take frustration so badly that I cannot put it out of my mind. I think about it all the time. Number 15, I've been so angry at times, I couldn't remember things I said or didn't say that I should have said. 15, oh, excuse me, 16, after arguing with someone, I literally hate myself. It's really quiet in here. Very quiet. When riled, oh, excuse me, I I missed 17, I've had trouble on the job because of my temper. Number 18, when riled up, I often blurt out things I later regret saying. Oh, Jesus, help us on that one. But she needed to hear it. Are you you applying this to your marriage? There are times when I really wish I hadn't called her those names or when I didn't tell him he was just a big, fat couch potato. Mm Mm-hmm. There are times when I think maybe I shouldn't have said those things. Number 19, some people are afraid of my bad temper. 20, when I get angry, frustrated, or hurt, I comfort myself by eating or using alcohol or other drugs or addictive substances. 21, when someone hurts or frustrates me, I want to get even. 22, I've gotten so angry at times that I've become physically violent, hitting other people or breaking things. 23, at times I've felt angry enough to kill somebody. 24, sometimes I feel so hurt and alone, I feel like committing suicide. And lastly, 25, I'm a really angry person and I know I need help learning to control my anger and angry feelings because it has already caused me a lot of problems. It is very difficult to identify addictive behaviors in our lives. We like to call it something other than what it is. And so many times we just use substances or things or hobbies or work to keep us distracted from the real issue, and that is that we're just an angry person. What the Bible says is true, that love is not easily angered. Not quick to get angry because you love the person so much. One day a lady bought a brand new 
Volvo. And she was in a crowded parking lot where she was actually looking for a place to park. You know the feeling? Planet Fitness on Monday nights, once a month, the first Monday of the month is pizza night. You go in and work out and then eat like a hog. Makes a lot of sense, right? On pizza night, because I've taken Josiah, my son, with me, on pizza night, the parking lot is jammed. You cannot find a place. Every single parking spot is taken. And so that's when people start to get just a little bit quirky. You drive around like this lady, and she had this Volvo, and she was looking for a parking spot. And finally, she, she sees a parking spot in a row, and she pulls up to, to back into it, and another car, sports car, with some young cocky guy, laughs at her and whips into the spot. Jumps out of the car, and she rolls down that window. You know because you've done this. You roll down the window. Who the heck do you think you are? I was going to take that spot. And, and he said, I'm young and quick. And you're old and slow. Bye, lady. And he just walks on. All of a sudden, he hears a smashing sound. She has pulled beyond the car and backed her Volvo into that car until she just annihilated it. It was... Lady, who do you think you are? She said, old and rich, as she drove off. We have to ask ourselves at times, well, who do I really think I am? And how do people perceive me? Most of the time, we don't give people the benefit of the doubt. We just assume by things we read or hear or other people have said that these things are true. You have to ask yourself at times, how do people really perceive me if they spend any time around me? Letting our anger get out of control is a dangerous thing. You know, I've given you in the past the seven steps to destruction. Do you know them? You have them memorized in your head? Number one. Loud, unforgiveness, resentment, retaliation, and it always works in that fashion. Seven steps to murdering someone. Seven steps to getting to the point where you are so out of control that you're willing to actually kill someone, not thinking about the consequences of your actions. I heard a story years ago about a little boy who had a violent temper, and his father was trying to teach him a lesson. So his father said, here's what I want you to do. Every time that you let your temper get out of control, I want you to take a big nail and put it in the fence out back. He found himself the first day making 37 trips to the fence. Every time his anger got out of control. And so the weeks and the months passed and the fence was full of nails. And his father came back and said, you, you need to understand something. Your anger is leading to destructive behavior. Look at all 
the nails in the fence. Now I want you to work on actually thinking, making a conscious choice not to get so mad all the time. You need to work at it because whenever we're trying to get rid of something out of our life that should not be there, it takes actual thought and work to make that happen. One at a time over the next weeks and months, he began to pull the nails out until one day he came back to his father and he said, Dad, you need to go look at the fence out back because I've changed. And his father said, I know you have. You have changed. I hardly ever sense that you have out-of-control anger anymore. So, so he said, look at the fence, Dad. There's nothing left. And his dad said, oh, yes, there is. There, there are holes on the entire fence. And every one of those holes is like a scar that remains there forever. It is a good thing for us to acknowledge that we have anger issues. And all of us, all of us do. All of us, legitimately, all of us do. 1 Corinthians 13, back to the text that we've been using. Verse 4 says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. You know when you're dating someone, this applies specifically to, to married people, but when you were dating the person that you wanted to marry, you just, you just turned into this absolutely amazingly loving man. Sweetheart, you're just beautiful. Let me open the door for you. I call it the buzzard and the dove. There was a, a book called the, the Sword of the Lord Scrapbook years ago because I'm old and I have all this in my library. And there's an illustration in there about the buzzard and the dove. And what happens basically is that this buzzard, this guy that eats magpies and, and picks picks on roadkill left on the road because he's from the buzzard family. That's what buzzards do. He meets this beautiful little thin blonde dove. So all the brunettes in the room are going, off the hook. Meets this beautiful little blonde dove and she is just about as sweet as could be and her parents identify the fact that she is actually seeing this buzzard. You you don't date buzzards. A buzzard's a buzzard. And she says, no, mommy and daddy, mommy and daddy who protect me all the time and give me whatever I want because I'm blonde and beautiful. He's different. They're like, uh, I don't know. Well, no, he hasn't, he hasn't touched the roadkill for a long time. He's changed. Okay, if you think so. Finally, they get married. Everything. Oh, my gosh. The honeymoon is amazing. Chocolates and roses for days. And one day, he doesn't come home. It's late, and he's still not home. And so she wonders where in the world he is. And when he does come home, she sees maggots on his feathers. Where have you been? I just stopped with the guy's... Just stop with the guys and, and had a little bit of roadkill. I'm, I'm not going there. This is just, this is not going to happen again. I understand that's bad for me, but I, so I'm not going to go back to that again. And she said, promise me, promise. Yes. Now go take a shower. But that's not the way it works. He does go back. He goes back and he goes back and he goes back and he goes back 
until they no longer can live together and trust each other. Hmm. So if you really love someone, the scripture says this. I preached on this two weeks ago. It is not self-seeking. It is self-denying. To in honor prefer the other person and lift them up. And so following that, you get to this characteristic of true love. It is not easily angered. I want to fix um, this thought that it is wrong for us to be angry because the scripture nowhere teaches that. That is incorrect theology. Jesus himself got angry. You just have to know and determine what God would say was unrighteous anger and what would be righteous anger. There's a difference. All of us struggle at times. So we have to ask ourselves a question this morning. When was the last time that I got angry? Hmm. Was it this morning? Because you couldn't find your shoes or your belt? Or you didn't compliment your wife? Or something happened when you got in the car? Or the coffee spilled on the way to church? Or something happened and you found yourself angry already on the way to church? In fact, sometimes it gets so bad on Sunday mornings that you feel like you're going to kill your children or someone. You with me? Is this boring? Okay, six people said no. The rest of you... You get so angry that you can barely make it to church. Let me just say this. Whenever God is working on something in your life and you're honest with yourself, whenever God is working on something in your life and you're actually honor, honest with yourself, you can depend on the fact that he's going to attack in the area that you know he's working on. Yeah, right? He will use all kinds of things. My friends, my friends, I won't say who in the room, are trying to quit smoking. And so today was the beginning of that. They were like, tomorrow, they said this yesterday, we're going to stop smoking. We're done forever. I think tomorrow is going to be hell day. You know what I'm talking about. It's not as easy as you think to live up to what your expectations and hopes would be. And so today will be the battle. The battle will begin, and the temptation will be, it's not going to hurt if you just have one. It's not going to hurt if I just get mad this time, because, you know, there, there is such a thing as getting mad. Jesus says we're supposed to get angry, and that, just as long as I don't let the sun go down today. Be angry, but don't let the sun go down on your wrath. I'm planning on fixing this before the day's over. Right before we go to bed, I'm going to say I'm sorry. So I gave you some worksheets. I wanted us to look at anger from two perspectives quickly. Number one, how to deal with inappropriate anger. Number two, how to embrace righteous anger. So I never give out worksheets. So this is something different for you. Did we ever get Planet Fitness pens? No? I, was, I asked if we could get Planet Fitness pens for those who didn't have pens. So we weren't going to steal them. They're, they're actually free. I just wanted 150 and I thought it would look really odd if I went into Planet Fitness and just took 150 and shoved them in my pockets. I think somebody would be angry. So hopefully you have a pen. I'm going through this quickly. So what do I do when I'm really tempted to get angry? Because I will say this. I was already this morning tempted to be angry. 
If you're a dad like I am, and it seems like your wife is in there still getting ready, and then you have a, a teenage son like I do, and he is just like, I don't know what, what, what he's doing. I, I'm not sure. I'm out there like, oh, God, I want to honk the horn. Not this morning, but other mornings. Jesus, I really want to honk the horn, but I'm speaking on anger today. Oh, God. And just then, they'll magically walk through the door, and you'll pretend everything's good today. Back out of the... Back out of the garage, I got my cup of coffee in my hand. My wife had a white coat on today, white coat. And I said, push the garage door button close. And she thought I was going to hand her that cup of coffee. Are you kidding? If that coffee spilled on that coat, I'd be dead. I, I knew that. You, you Listen to me, people. You know that sometimes the devil just makes things happen so you can get mad at each other. You believe that or not? I think we're always blaming someone else for something that the enemy is using to make us feel like trash. I want to encourage you today. Everybody gets angry. Everybody gets angry. It's the truth. So what do I do? I pray, number one. Now, I'm, I'm not like, oh, my goodness. Let's stop right now and pray. Let's just grab hands and pray. Oh, the devil is, the devil is after you to get this. Let's let's. Yeah, 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 he, he's after us, but I think we should pray, God, I seriously would like to stop this behavior. Now help me. Number two, walk away when you're angry. You know you're going to get mad about something. You turn that body around and walk away. Number three, you might have to forgive something because anger is usually a byproduct of someone offending you by something they say. You already didn't make it today. You were supposed to say something nice about your wife or your husband, and it didn't happen. They're already offended. You don't even want, you don't even know why. Walk away if you feel you're getting angry. Forgive them. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, or seven times, 70 times. Number four, do not sin. Don't let it turn to sin. You know what happens? When we begin to become angry, it leads to other things. It leads to wrath, violence, and murder. Number five, be slow to speak. You can hurt somebody devastatingly by saying things you should not say in the angry moment. Don't ever say, I hate you to anyone. Ever. They won't forget it. You do not use the word divorce in your marriage, ever. It's a word that is not acceptable because if the enemy hears it, he's going to cause you to think that's okay and it's not. James 1.19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Two things to be slow to, one thing to be quick to. Listen instead of talking. Listen to what your spouse is saying, Proverbs 10.19. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but by pr the prudent hold their tongues. Proverbs 12, 18, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. In one of Aesop's fables, there is a donkey that is walking through the woods. And the donkey so much has such problems with being accepted by other people. And so one day walking through the woods, he comes upon the carcass of a lion the fiercest, boldest, strongest animal in the woods. 
And the carcass is laying there in the sun because some hunters have been there, shot the lion, and now they're trying to dry it out so they can take it home. But in the meantime, he thinks, wow, I'm going to see what happens when, when I put that coat on. I've always wanted to be a lion. Yeah, I wanted to growl and everybody let them know who I am because I'm a man's man. Oh, yeah. I think you guys have had too much vacation. You can't even smile today. It's like... Shut up and get this over with. Okay? So it puts the carcass on. The donkey puts the carcass on and is walking around just and it, like, wow, I'm, I'm awesome. And then, and then all of a sudden, he talks. Everybody goes, that's that idiot. There's another word for donkey. That's that idiot donkey wearing that stupid carcass. Do you know that sometimes when we open our mouths, when we're upset about something, we take all questions as to who we are away from people. Because the fool utters his whole mouth, but a wise man keeps it in till afterwards. After what? After things have calmed down. After you're not acting irrationally. After you actually think how blessed you are to even have a wife. Right? How blessed you are to even have a husband. How blessed you are today to have food, to have soft seats while I'm talking, to have climate-controlled rooms where in other parts of the world they don't even know if they're going to eat today. Proverbs 12 says, The words of reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise actually brings healing. The moral of the fable was this. Fine clothes may disguise, but foolish words will disclose a fool. Too often we resort to all kinds of methods. This is for husbands and wives now and for those who need premarital counseling. This is what we do. We get in an argument about something and we think, I'm not going to win this. I know I'm not because the wife is always right. We learn that early on. Right, ladies? Right, men? Now, there's a man's man, my son-in-law. There's a man's man right over there. He stands up for his rights. He's a man. Actually, he's just wearing the lion coat. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we resort to... You get in the middle of an argument with your, with your spouse, I, I promise you, these things become the temptations. You're just a fool. I'm a fool? You're just a busybody. Oh, busybody? Well, you're just a donkey, the other name. Well, you're just a witch. Other spelling. <laughs> I'm going to get yelled at as soon as I get in the car. <laughs> We're Baptists, and Baptists, the B is bad. Okay. Uh, then, there's, then there's the whole rejection thing. Oh, this is the thing I can't handle. I'm not talking to you. Now on, you can just 
yell all you want. I'm not the one with the problem. You have the problem. I'm, the silent treatment is like, get in here and let's just fight until we're sick of it. That's my way. Let's just duke this out. Character assassination. And then you push buttons and you bring up the past. Well, as I remember, you don't respect me at all because I told you not to spend over $20. And you spent over 20 honey. What about you? You bought that boat that we don't need after you bought that goat and those chickens in the backyard. And, oops. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? It's like this back and forth thing that goes on that just doesn't accomplish anything. And number six is this, don't keep score. 1 Corinthians 13, 5, love is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It doesn't keep any record of wrongs. So there's a story told about a prosecuting attorney who's in a small town courthouse, and he calls his first witness to the stand, an elderly woman, and he approaches her and said, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? And she says, of course I do. Mr. Williams. Oh, I don't want all that up there. Just take that off. I want, why are they looking at the screen? I don't have any scripture up there. They're all reading the story long done before I am. That wreck said, there's a surprise coming. Uh-huh. You thought you could read the whole thing. Now, you tell me how it finishes, okay? No. So he says, do you know me? And she says, of course I do. I babysat you when you were a young kid. I know all about you, Mr. Prosecuting Attorney. And frankly, you're nothing but a huge disappointment to me. You lie, you cheat, you manipulate people, you talk about them behind your back. You don't have the brains to realize that you're never going to amount to anything. You're nothing but a two-bit paper pusher. I know you. The lawyer was taken back like, Yes, I didn't know you thought about me that way. And he stunned. He said, well, Mrs. Jones, do you know the defense attorney over there? And she says, of course I do, and you know I do, because you both grew up in my neighborhood. I used to babysit him, too, Mr. Bradley. And he, too, has been a big disappointment to me. The man can't build a normal relationship. He has a serious drinking problem. And his law practice is one of the shoddiest in the entire city. Oh, I know him. At this point, the judge is on the bench, and he, bang, bang, bang. Attention, everyone in the courtroom. And he calls the two lawyers up to the bench. And he says, in a very quiet voice, if either of you asks if she knows me, you're both in contempt of the court. Do you, you, you and I, I mean, we can relate to this. We're so good at pointing out everyone's faults. We're so good at pointing out their faults, and our intent is not 
to see the good in them. It is to find the fault in them to prove that we're right about something that we heard or read or saw or we thought would help benefit our cause. Now, how is God in that? Seriously. How is God in that? Because just what I see, I myself, I would far rather have my brother or sister or someone come and talk to me so we could straighten out whatever misunderstandings there may be. Because that's what the Bible says. And secondly, I would far rather tell you what I'm struggling with than run around and talk to everyone else about it in an attempt to prove that I'm right. Because it doesn't prove you're right. It proves that you just want to be in control. That doesn't help anyone. Number seven is don't repay evil for evil. It doesn't work. The Bible says it. Be careful what is right in the eyes of everyone. Be careful to not repay evil because someone somehow hurt you. Number eight, remember the plank in your own eye before you try to remove the toothpick in someone else's eye. James 1.19 again. Be slow to speak, slow to wrath, quick to listen. Quick to listen. In the washroom of a place of business in London, a British newspaper publisher, William Beaverbrook, happened to meet Edward Heath, a young member of parliament about whom Beaverbrook had printed an insulting article a few days earlier. This, i got to interject this here. There is nothing more humiliating than running into someone who you have denigrated and degraded and torn apart. And I would say this, my experience as a pastor of 43 years is this. When people do that kind of things, they don't just hurt themselves or the other person. They hurt the cause of Christ. And yet it continues to go on constantly. We want to prove we're right more than actually be right by how we live. It doesn't do anyone any good to be hateful. It does so much damage to you and the other person in the cause of Christ. What I see missing in the body of Christ is being quick to listen. I don't want to talk to you. You're already proven you're wrong. I've heard from so-and-so, and I read this, and I saw this, and in my own personal experience is that you seem cocky and arrogant and all these things, and you're judging when you should not judge, not compare, not listen to the garbage and say, I'm just going to get to the source of this myself. Everybody wishes they had that kind of love. This is something that I've learned over 43 years. The people that love me the most are sitting right there, her and her and him and my family. My family loves me the most. And outside of that, there's really not much guarantee that people are going to love you or hate you. you. You may not even be aware of it. You may not even know that someone doesn't like you or that they've slandered you or they've talked against you. And I would just like to say this to the congregation at Rock Church, that I would like to thank you for your kindness to me and my family in spite of me. Thank you. It means a lot to me that you are, are kind to me. And so 
the newspaper article was written days earlier, and the writer runs into this man in the restroom and is embarrassed out of his mind, and he actually says this, I've been thinking it over and I was wrong. And here and now I, I wish to apologize to you. And the man who the article was written about, Mr. Heath, he grunted, but he said, but he said I, I would say this, the next time that you wish to insult me, I'd rather you insult me in the bathroom and apologize in the newspaper. Because condemning someone publicly is like ripping a feather pillow open and letting the feathers go everywhere in the city. It becomes impossible to pick them all up. The godly person will make it no matter what because they love God. I don't, what I don't understand is in this West Michigan Christian culture, why are our churches so mean and hateful? You, you, you follow me? So, so a lot of people that come to Rock Church have lived bad lives and may be still involved in addictive behaviors. We're not going to win those people by being hateful, but rather by showing love. Love does win. In the big picture, you agree? Love changes someone. You know what you do? You don't just forgive them on your own. You forgive enough to go show them redemptive type of behavior by loving on them. Many people in this room, I know, have made big mistakes with their lives. I've shared my testimony many times. I was a senior in Bible college. My parents were, I did not come from a good, good, solid, well-functioning home. A lot of dysfunction in my home. Went to Bible college. They said, we'll promise that if you get to be a senior, we'll pay. I got a senior year in the middle of the year. I, I didn't have any more money, so I was sent home. College had made a new rule. I ended up living in the ghetto of St. Paul, Minnesota, in an apartment where a prostitute lived prior to my moving in, and every night men would come to the door and bang on the door and, and say, is, is Darla in there? And, and I would be scared out of my mind. I, I um, was big into music. The most valuable thing I had in my life was my eight tracks. Anybody else have those? Had my eight track player in the car and you put that big honking thing in there and sometimes the tape would get stuck in there and it would just pull it all apart, it was just nasty. My music was everything. I, nobody in the Christian, I'm, I'm saying this, I think this is bad, but no one, I was the vice president of the student body in, in my Bible college, not one person ever contacted me, not one, ever, in the whole time that I was away. Little did they know that my parents actually kicked me out of the house for using their laundry soap, and I ended up living in the ghetto in that apartment and would cry every night that I wasn't working. I'd cry because I didn't even know if I was going to get to eat or not. God always supplied my needs, always, because that's how God is. And he teaches you through all these things that happen in your life. And if there's anything I've learned out of that is we should go after the people who feel like nobody wants them. We should go after the people with the love of God that feel like I'm such a screw-up, I can't get out of this addictive pattern that I have that I saw in my family. You can. Yes. You agree with me? You don't have to be an alcoholic. You don't, stop it right now. 
right this second. You stop it right now. You get angry at sin. Yes, get angry at the enemy, not your spouse, not someone in the church, not the pastor. Don't get angry with them. Get angry at the one who wants you to be dead. I love this church. I'll be there for you. If nobody else wants you, we'll take you. You come here, I, I put one word on our sign out there this week, different. Everybody, every church says we're the real place. We're the loving people. Baloney. That is the biggest, fattest lie that ever existed. I grew up in a home of legalistic criticism. And of my four brothers and sisters, all are divorced. And all have gone far away from God. And all of my nieces and nephews know nothing of Jesus. And I blame it on legalism and people being control freaks in the church that get to determine whether this church is good enough or not. Hogwash. Look at the product it's putting out. That'll tell you tons right there. We have the blood of the Lamb and the power of the Holy Spirit covers our sin and the Bible says no condemnation has taken you, but such as is common to man. There's no, there's no con- condemnation taken us in, in Romans, the book of Romans. There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common. Everybody's tempted. Everybody has issues. Everybody deserves hell. But God doesn't give it to us. He gives us redemption. He gives us love. He gives us encouragement. The new people that have come in, into the church recently had just blessed my socks off. Because it's fresh. Their salvation is fresh. It's new. The transformation is new. There are six steps to reconciliation. If you're having problems with your spouse, and some in this room are, if you come along and you have problems with your spouse, I'm going to go through these real quickly. Accept the other person's emotions. Because if, if, if you get old enough to like my age, your wife is eventually going to go through a pause. It's, it's a pause. There's a pause in your life cycle line. Things are going to happen that are going to be scary. You, need, you can make it through it. This is how I feel now. I've been through my wife's menopause. My wife is 64 and I'm 66. I always say this. I want to die first, Lord, because I can't live without her. I want to just say this to people who have given up on your spouse, on your marriage. On, on what God could do, you need to think seriously about the power of God to be able to transform your marriage. God can do anything. Stay the course. Don't stop believing. You keep praying. God can change your spouse. God can change you. Right? Yes or no? When you say yes, the devil hears it and says, I can't get them because they believe in this. They believe in the power of God to bring redemption to their marriage. Accept your, your partner. Acknowledge. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Acknowledge. Let them talk. Let them say what they need to say. Acknowledge them and be quick to listen to them. And they're going to be surprised. They're going to say, she's going to say, he actually listened to me. Do you know how many men are like this? Huh? You say, what you say? You talk to me? Michigan game? See, they didn't win anyway. They lost, you guys. That we're putting all your stock in Michigan. They didn't do it, man. 
Listen to your spouse. Avoid becoming defensive because a soft answer turns away wrath. But grievous words stir up anger. Listen. Change the way you are and actually act like you care. Number four, allow time for the other person to heal. And admit your own faults. Get mellow enough to actually allow enough time to see them change. When you start listening, they're going to start to change. Admit your own faults. I understand that. I have problems too. And apologize even if it's not necessary. Because some people would say, well, apologize, you know, only when it's necessary. I say, no, apologize anyway. It shows that you're humble. Apologize. Just say, I'm sorry. We should not have even gotten into this. You're going to find this. The older you get, the older you get, and the longer you're married, the more you want to stay married to that precious person who you've married. Am I right, Bob? Am I right? Am I right? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. You know that you're old goods now and nobody else wants you anyway. Fess up. Fess up. That body that once looked good sucks. There is no way. There is no way. I've, I've been going to go get some of that testosterone 5,000 and start using that to help put on some muscle. It don't work anyway. You just need to accept the condition of your body. Be thankful that you even got somebody. Huh? There's people in here right now going, you suck. You think you're funny, you're not. You suck. And I ain't listening to you anyway because I've heard all kinds of things about you. Okay. I'm good with that. I'll still love you. I'm, I'm okay with that, seriously. Because all of us are evil sinners that deserve hell but the grace of God just pulls us right out of it and says, no, 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 no. You're cleaned up. You're good. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're cleaned up. You are good. You are good to go. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know that's true. There should be more grace dispensed. My, my friends over there, the rights, I want to do something nice for them. We were at our table talking last night. You guys walk a lot. You don't have a vehicle, do you? You do? No. You got to tell us when you have needs because the body of Christ is here to help meet needs. Hmm. The Spirit of God said to me, you need to watch over them. They are loving people. They are part of the body of Christ. We need to take care of each other. When we start generating true love and concern for each other, all the rest of the stuff just goes out the door. All that nonsense that nonsense that destroys us, destroys your marriage, destroys you. I, I see people in the room on a regular basis ready to bawl their heads out, their, their eyes out. Because God is speaking to you. I want to just say this as encouragement. You can make it. You can more than make it. Yes, you've already won the battle. Yeah, you have. If you have Jesus, you have the power, the redemptive power, to not be what you were. To be different. Don't give up. I'm talking to my friends. I'm looking at my friends in this room. And you know you are going through the valley of the shadow of death. And you wonder how in the world this is going to change. And are you just going to end up in disaster? And God is saying, no, 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 no. I want to bless you. I want to multiply my blessings to you. These are two questions I think you need to ask in clo closing. How much does it actually mean for me to win this argument? See, I think it's more about winning the argument than about what's biblically right. 
I think that's the way it is in the body of Christ. It's more about proving that we're the good church. I had a man in town tell me this West Michigan is all about good, clean living and good, clean families. And I think pride, pride, you can have the best, clean living, beautiful picture, sick of it. You following me? All they see is duplicity because we're all duplicit. And the sooner that we can acknowledge it and love on them genuinely, the sooner they'll change and find life in Christ. The sooner you'll change. Second question is if you won the battle but lost the war. Is my motive to be right or to be righteous? Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I was listening to T.D. Jakes, and I'm going to get bashed about this too, because, well, good, good, um, good gospel preaching independent churches, you know, don't hang out with T.D. Jakes. I listen to everybody. I take it all smorgasbord. If I think the power of the Holy Spirit is working through a preacher, I'm listening. And I heard, him, I heard him say this this week as I was preparing for this message. Embrace your anger. Whew, that sounded like false teaching. Embrace your anger. Because all the other pastors would say, you should be a very loving, kind, and gracious man of God. You should have spread the love of Jesus to everyone. Never raise your voice. Don't act like a fool like Peterson does. And just be loving to, to everyone. God is good. His grace endures forever. What drove me out of the church literally made me want to kill myself. You know, it's not necessarily somebody else is going to murder you. I, got, I, got, I said this to men's Bible study. And by the way, we have men's Bible study tomorrow night. And don't miss two Sundays from today. We took our pageant that's normally on Easter. That wasn't it last weekend. We took our pageant and moved it to two weeks from today with hundreds of hours of labor put into it, invite everybody. There's a morning and evening pageant. You should come. So I was telling the guys this, that when I was be, be beyond wanting to live anymore because I was out of the will of God, I had decided I was going to commit suicide. And the long story short was I ended up in these people's house that I knew were Christians, way out in the woods, long gravel driveway, drove down their driveway. They were obviously at church. I, I was crying so hard and I wanted to die so much that I just went into their house, their farmhouse, opened the screen door, went in and sat down, put my head on the kitchen table until they came home. I'd never been in that house before. I was sobbing and they walked in the house. I said, I know you don't know me, but I was going to kill myself earlier. And God told me, stop your car and go back there to that place where those people live that are Christians, not making this up. I backed my car up, went down the driveway, had the guts to go sit in that house because I knew I wasn't going to live anyway, sobbing at the kitchen table. They come home, they walk in the kitchen, this farmer and his wife, and he says, we know who you are. And he fell down to his knees. And he put his arm around me and he said, no matter what anybody says about you, God loves you. He saved my life. The reason why so many young people are rebelling against their childhood even is because it wasn't real. 
It wasn't real. We were more interested in being right, uh, looking right, excuse me, than being right. Being right, we have to understand that there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ. We shouldn't be condemning anyone. We shouldn't be angry at anyone, including ourselves. And I, and I said this to men's Bible study last week. I say it to you now. You have not made God so angry that he's done with you. Because first John, John, while he was, was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, wrote this. He said, there is a sin that is a sin unto death. Pray that your brother will not commit the sin. That is the sin of leaving God completely out of everything. That's blasphemy to God. You haven't committed it, obviously, because you're still in the room. That's the sin Judas committed. It always wants you dead. God wants you alive this morning. Embrace your anger. Use it for God. I'm going to get angry at sin. I'm going to get angry at the devil. I'm not going to get angry with my wife. I'm not going to be, say, I want to divorce you, husband. I'm not going to give up and throw in the towel and stop coming to church and everything else. I'm going to get angry at the enemy, but he's been defeated. You agree, yes or no? The enemy's been defeated. Death can't take me down. He can't get me. I am blood-bought through what Christ did on the cross. Praise band is coming. We're singing our way out this morning. You and I, listen to me. Listen to me. You need, and I need this this morning, you need to accept God's forgiveness and love. If there's something that's plaguing you this morning, I'm offering an invitation. You can just come and stand right down here. If there's something that's plaguing you that you need to give to God right now, this morning, and understand that he is slow to wrath. Yes, slow to wrath, slow to condemnation. There's no condemnation. You can have the victory right now. You put a nail, you put a nail in the cross and say, I'm done. I'm done. What you did has finished the work for me, and you sing in the victory. Thank you so much for sticking around and listening to the word that God has for you. We pray that you go out into the world now and you live differently, you act differently, and you love differently.